Hey, who made you a disc jockey? Welcome from all of us to all of you. If you want to know how glad we are to have you with us, just you listen. Hi, and welcome to the Crisis on Infinite Midlives podcast. I'm Rob. I'm Amanda. It's episode 110, day late. Sorry about that. And I'm going to be up front. Uh, we are on vacation. Yeah. We are both on vacation from our day jobs. Uh, a combination of that feeling of entropy that comes when you realize, oh, I don't even have to get up on any given day. It's amazing how quickly I forget when I have an entire week off just what fucking day it is. <laughs> it's true. Like literally by Sunday, I was just like, when, it's Sunday? Oh, Jesus. Okay. And so uh, that comes into play uh, and as much as we love doing the show, but also Amanda was feeling sick on Saturday. And I've been sick since December. Yeah, but you had another spike of weird fever. Yeah, it did. Like the 24-hour dengue. Is that a thing? <laughs> I don't think so. It wasn't even 24 hours. It was like eight hours. You woke up with a fever and slept all day on Saturday and woke up uh, kind of okay. Yeah. Okay enough to drink scotch, which is the important thing. Well, I thought that I would burn the virus with fire. Exactly. <laughs> Kill it with ethanol. Alcohol is a disinfectant. Yeah. Dust off and nuke the site from orbit. I mean, sure, I could have gone to the doctor and maybe gotten antibiotics, but scotch. Yeah. <laughs> scotch kills bacteria. <laughs> yes. In a very straight path. Yep. Uh, Through my liver. <laughs> nothing lives in your liver I anymore, know. Amanda. Come on. Let's not be silly. That's <laughs> where things go to die, like the dark side of the moon. <laughs> so, so yes, we're sorry we're a day late. And one other uh, thing, we are going to try like hell to do a show this coming weekend, but we are heading away to the wilds of yeah the wilds of new hampshire it's about as touristy in new hampshire as the it world is. could possibly be if you've been listening to the show for any length of time you know that if it's possible a couple times a year we like to go up to lake winnipesaukee and go to fun spot which is the arcade where they had the competition in the king of kong that has an entire floor of 80s video games and 70s pinball they got like the kiss pinball machine and the spider-man pinball machine and just every game that i sucked at in the 1980s the old school vector graphics star wars and star trek games oh yeah and uh i'll be there for the pole position pole position pole position to all of that i'm gonna put down a stack of tokens because you don't do quarters anymore <laughs> yeah, yeah here's amanda's mo when we go to fun spot <laughs> We get there early, uh, cause that's a, Lake Winnipesaukee, if you've never been there, is a big New Englandish tourist area with beaches and a drive-in theater. And we only go there to play the fucking video games. Yeah. That is the entirety of our plan. For get, the most part, we even bring our own food and just put it in the micro fridge in our hotel. It's just, <laughs> yeah, it's cheese and crackers and beer. And, and, and wine. And, and we get this from the Cumberland Farms, which is a gas station. Yeah, exactly. It's gas station, <laughs> beer and wine. And cheese. <laughs> so that's dinner for three cheese days. Cheese food product. But yeah, it's we get up early and we get breakfast and we go straight to the arcade and Amanda goes directly to the sit-down pole position machine. And we'll play it. Now, every night they turn the power off so all the high score is clear. Yes. So she will play it until she gets the high score. Now, it's deceptive because we get there early enough. Usually, that's within a run or two. She can get yeah. past the you know default high scores that are on the machine. But then no matter what's happening for the rest of the day, about every 45 minutes, she sort of inexorably moves us back across <laughs> the floor to look at the pole position machine to see if she still has the high score. 
oh, you know, I might want to play Millipede or Centipede, and they just happen to be on the way to the pole position machine. Yeah, of course. Yeah, your love of bugs <laughs> is, is well established. Is, is well established <laughs> in what's moving you toward that side yeah. of the floor. But yeah, if and God, she goes there to look to see if she still has the high score, and God help the guilty <laughs> if some motherfucker is in there beating her score, because yeah. then she will just shadow the mother. She will. Then it's on. Yeah, she will stand there. <laughs> And it's and it's tricky. She, she, she'll wait until the kid gets out. But the problem is, unless you grew up in the '80s going to arcades, which most of the people at Fun Spot didn't, we're most of the time the oldest people in the place. And I can't wear my trench coat there because they'll put the arm on me. Yeah, I'll just look the the part of someone stalking the arcade. <laughs> hey, hey, kid, you want some quarters? <laughs> But because we're the oldest people there, if you didn't grow up in the 80s going to arcades, you don't understand the etiquette of you put your quarter up mm -hmm. on the top marquee, and that means you got the next game. Yes. So you'll get people who'll just sit in the fucking thing and plug and plug and plug. And they take it poorly when you slam on the plexiglass and say, I have next. Yeah, it's... <laughs> <laughs> Why we're still allowed back, I have no idea. But that, yeah, until she can sit down, and then she will sit there and play it. Also, herself ignoring any <laughs> etiquette about who. Gets no, the that's next game. that's not true. If somebody is hovering and wants to play next, I, I generally get out because usually it's somebody there with a parent, and I don't want to be that guy. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, because then we'll have nothing to do <laughs> when we're ejected from the place. But yeah, it's it, for Amanda. It's all about getting and maintaining the high score on pole position. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Which it's weird because we've got like fours of five and a whole driving wheel rig and vastly better, more realistic driving games in our own home. I, I, I love that game. I'm not very good at that game. Although I was really good at it the other night when it was front wheel drive car. And I feel bad about me. <laughs> uh, no, it just means you'll never be allowed to drive my car. <laughs> Ever, even yeah. if you can learn to drive a stick again, although it's not it doesn't really matter with Forza, like which car I have, I drive it like a fucking rally car. By the end of it, the thing is destroyed beyond human belief. You don't drive it like a rally car. You drive it like a drunk. She will, <laughs> she will go. Amanda will go into a pack of cars on the Nurburgring and just nudge. For, she'll pit maneuver cars. The, the, the things that aren't even like illegal in racing, they're just illegal. <laughs> They're assault with intent to kill. Yeah. <laughs> but she, she'll win the race, and, and it'll look like she put the car through a, an electric car wash full of fucking rocks. It's just horrible. But ironically, you can't do that with pole position, because the second you even remotely digitally nudge another car on pole position, you blow up. That's because, <laughs> that's because Atari, for all its 8-bit faults, had an understanding of justice in this world <laughs> that clearly the Xbox community doesn't understand. So... <laughs> Me, 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 me. <laughs> All I know is someday, I've been playing Tron as an arcade game since I was 11 years old. Someday I will clear the third fucking rack of Tron. Yes. It's, the games I go for are Tron, uh, Tempest, and Star Wars. And without fail, at least two of them are shut down because they're you know, busted. It's What games are working on any given day, you never quite know. That's true. So <laughs> there have been times I go there, it's like, oh... All right, I guess I'll play Kiss Pinball. And I'm terrible at pinball. I've upped my Qbert game. <laughs> oh, I suck at Q I suck at all of them. As I've gotten older, I've gotten better at Pac-Man and yeah. Ms. Pac-Man than I was a kid. But yeah, it's a, whenever I try to play Donkey Kong, I really thought I was good at Donkey Kong when I was a kid. Like I really, 
I have memories of being good at it. I had the cross-handed grip. Oh, yeah. Because if I've you've, seen you do it. Yeah, if you've never played an actual Donkey Kong machine, the joystick's on the left and the jump button's on the right. Well, if you're right-handed, it makes you want more control. So, yeah, you play it cross-handed, you know, right hand over the left hand. And, yeah, it's and that still feels natural to me. But, God, I can't clear the fucking first rack about half the time. I feel that way about Mortal Kombat. I thought I was good at Mortal Kombat, and I don't know if they've jacked difficulty levels or if I just suck, but I I am not good at Mortal Kombat. <laughs> well, no, it's the Mortal Kombat machines are older than they used to be, hmm. so the buttons are a little bit less sensitive. So when you mash them, because that's how you play Mortal Kombat. It is. I'll be like, I think this will release the the hat that takes your head off. So <laughs> yeah, your finishing move is. Or screaming. like I'm Sonya. Like, I think this releases thighs of death. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> Please don't release thighs of death while I'm around. That's terrifying for fuck's sake. I mean, generally your finishing move is motherfucker, and you storm away from the thing. Yeah, at fun spot. <laughs> yeah. And Fun Spot's just a counterintuitive place for us to go because they have a bar, but they also have a drink limit. You can't get drunk there. They shut you off after three beers. That's no fun. So, I mean, I suppose you could get three shots and, like, empty stomach it if you really wanted to, but... Yeah, and then no. you have to, like, hide a flask and, like, surreptitiously take rips in the bathroom. Yeah, and they look at me funny enough there. I, I don't need to be that yeah. guy. Trench coat, flask, <laughs> hiding in the bathroom, reeking of whiskey. I wouldn't make it ten minutes in the fucking place, even in the off season. Troubling things falling out of your pocket when you bend over to play skee-ball. <laughs> excuse, <laughs> excuse me, sir. Are you waiting in line for Pac-Man? I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> The point being, we're going to bring the mobile rig uh, up there and try to do a show this weekend. If it goes uh, sideways, uh, we apologize. We'll announce it on Twitter and Facebook and on our home website. But our intentions are pure. Yeah, and we'll keep an eye on, on comics news and whatnot. I, I have a thought about like fantasy casting for DC movies that will never be uh, that maybe we'll, we'll talk about. All right. Works for me. What the hell? So, listeners, um, this may or may not happen, but if you were going to cast a movie set on New Genesis or Apocalypse, who would you cast as Mr. Miracle and Big Barda and why? Yeah. You can email us at crisisoninfinitemidlives at gmail.com. Yeah, so this, is a, <laughs> this would be a good topic, at least if we're hammered, because I know we had a drunken argument about it for at least 45 minutes. <laughs> I sucked the bartender Saturday. into it. <laughs> yeah. And it worked out. So, yeah. <laughs> all right, that, that may be something with, that we can do. Okay. Because, yeah, talking about video games, I think we've just about talked about all I the video games. I think we've talked about we all can. the video games. So, oh, wait, Rampage now. We'll, we'll... <laughs> oh, God, don't bring up. The Rampage machine is always, it's it's always working in air quotes. And <laughs> it's like, like Xenomorph is always working in air quotes. Yeah, and like two of the joysticks, like the diagonal down in each direction doesn't work, which means you can't even play the fucking thing. Yeah. I give them credit. Uh, they call the whole floor of 80s video games the uh, arcade of uh, the Museum of Classic Arcade Machines. Something like that, yeah. And they try like hell to keep everything up and running. But yeah, it's, it's, it's like any children's museum where you let people put their grubby fingers on shit. They break down half the time. Yeah. So. <laughs> but all I'm saying in terms of my fantasy casting, tell me that you wouldn't ever want to see Kathy Bates' granny goodness. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, all right. Don't go any further all than right, that. All right, I'm stopping if, there. If that's the topic for, for next week. Yeah, you've already just, shot your wad on no, a quarter of it. Just, I've got more, but I'm just putting the teaser out there. Okay. All right. Because even the bartender, once I said these, like, there's nothing I want to see more, and I don't even know who Big Barda is. <laughs> That's the, Let me call you a cab. Kathy, <laughs> Kathy, <laughs> Kathy Bates as Big Barda would be horrible fucking no. casting. <laughs> 
No, he was down with it because he, anyway. <laughs> yes, all right. <laughs> yeah, all right, we don't want to give any more away if, if that's the direction we go in. Yes. But yeah, this, uh, that, that's next week, maybe. Uh, and this week, uh, again, the show is late and I apologize up front. It is going to be loose because, yeah, because of illness and screwed up with vacation. Uh, yeah, we haven't been able to do quite as much prep as we'd like. But this week's show, uh, the idea of it came from, uh, about a week and a half ago. Mm. Uh, I had to work from home. So I was up in our office, uh, connected to my work computer. Which I'm not in line of sight of the television. And Amanda said, you know, if you're going to be doing this for a while, I'm just going to catch up on Fear the Walking Dead. Now, when Fear the Walking Dead premiered, we watched the first couple episodes and we did a show about it to yep. talk about how it, it looked as a brand new show. The ugly reality is it did not hook us in well enough no. to feel like we had to watch it on a weekly basis for the first six episodes. They sat on the TiVo and they languished until, yeah, after the finale of season six of The Walking Dead. Yeah. Now, what I found watching the finale of season six of the main show is I was half watching it when we, we watched it live. Mm. I was half watching it and I was half surfing on my phone because if you read the comic book, and by the way, spoilers on everything we're going to talk about. Yes. So if you're not caught up on these shows, at least up to end of season six, uh, the first episode of season two of Fear the Walking Dead, we're just going to fucking ruin it for you. <laughs> As, so, yeah, I found myself half looking at my my phone because I knew what was coming and I knew it was going to be Negan and I knew it was going to mirror at least up to a point the events of issue 100 of the comic book. So, yeah, I kind of watched it, but it's like I can't really – I couldn't focus as much as I probably should have. And then as I'm listening to – the final four episodes of the first season of Fear the Walking Dead over my shoulder uh, as I'm working and everything is going wrong and pe family members are getting separated and killed and trying to figure out how to get out of the city while police are hoarding water and shit. And I'm just a constant grinding of, oh, no, we're doomed, we're doomed, we're doomed. At the end of that sixth episode... I said to Amanda, and as somebody who has been reading The Walking Dead since issue seven, I couldn't really believe I was saying this, but I'm like, yeah, I may be walking deaded out. Yeah. I'm the constant slog of misery and failure and hopelessness and depression. I'm not sure I can do anymore. And she and I talked about it and you know, said, all right, well, you didn't really pay a, as much attention to the finale as you should, and you're not as up on Fear the Walking Dead as you should be. Let's take a look at it and talk about, have we reached, at least for us, peak Walking Dead, where it's just- Maximum the, saturation. Yeah, where, <laughs> where the payoff of, A, it's a zombie story, and it's based on a comic, and a comic that historically we've loved, if we don't think it is right now what it was five, six, seven years ago- has it reached the point where it's just, you know, I, I, I can't take this beating anymore. Mm. You know, this constant drumbeat of fucked, fucked. Yeah. Fu it, it becomes hard. Yeah. So what we did was we, this weekend, we rewatched the finale of season six and we watched the first episode of Fear the Walking Dead and just tried to figure out. <laughs> what if this is working and has it really reached the point where it's just too goddamn hopeless? Well, I think it's telling that <clears throat> we uh, watched 
the first episode of Fear the Walking Dead season two. And uh, then we were done. We have season two, uh, episode two sitting on there. <laughs> yeah. And it was just like, hey, you, you all set? I think I'm all set. <laughs> yeah, no, we're, we're good for right now. We'll <laughs> we'll get to it uh, eventually at some point, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, so watching the finale of season six of, of the main show, I mean, it's <laughs> just a couple notes from from firing the episode up. I've got a, one of the first things... Amanda said was awfully ironic for Carl to be lecturing Enid to stay in the fucking house. Yeah. So at least it's progressed that far <laughs> that the old joke about Carl, you know, just stay in the fucking house, Carl. Yeah. You know, yeah, he's right on the front lines. And yeah, it's <laughs> everything about that episode was designed to bring dread and rising hopelessness, which is has been a theme of the show from the beginning. Mm-hmm. I, I'm just, I'm not sure I can take anymore <laughs> well i think i think that um finale episode would have been more effective had we not already known what was going to happen from the comic book because they did a nice job in terms of all right we've got multiple routes of escape that we're going to try okay they all right they cut that one off they cut that one off but you listen to rick and, and, uh, and the whole theme of as long as we're together it's going to be okay and then that's all crushed at the end with the entrance of negan and hope crushed. <laughs> yes. And I think overall that was a problem that I had with the episode and a problem I knew I was going to have with the episode and a problem I had with it when we tried to watch it live mm. is no matter what happened in this episode, if you read the comic books and you've read any of the news coming out of The Walking Dead, you knew that Negan was going to show up. Yeah. And when it comes to Negan, the minute you see him, at least if you understand the comics, you know you're staring at episode after episode of Negan always wins, Rick and crew always lose. Yeah. And at great cost. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Everything Rick tries for issue upon issue of the comic book fails until we get literally to just about the end of All Out War. When he finally kind of turns it around. Which took how many years? Years to get to in the comic book? It was at least 18 months or two years. Yeah. <laughs> so there was pacing shit on top of that. <laughs> well, uh, the, the pacing of the comic book is a separate issue, and it's one I, I definitely want to touch on. Uh, okay. Because when you and I were talking about this, we were also talking about how with these sorts of stories, there has to be a payoff. And I, I call the pacing into question because... While there was eventually payoff, it took 18 to 24 months to get to. And that's an awfully long time to ask readers to hang in there and watch shit continue to rain down on characters they've learned to love. Yeah, it's the the role of a zombie story I want to get to in a minute. Okay. Um, But definitely for this kind of story to work, there has to be hope. Yes. You know, watching people get beat on and... Any good story, you want to see the protagonist challenged and challenged strongly. But in a perfect world, there needs to be some kind of catharsis. They need to either, if not overcome what they're what they're fighting against, reach a point where, okay, it's hopeless, but I'm going to try and take some control of the situation. And the best example I can think of, of you can have a hopeless story and a miserable, hopeless ending is uh, The Mist. 
Okay. Yeah. Ironically directed by Frank Darabont, <laughs> which if you've never seen it, <laughs> I hate to spoil the ending because it is glorious and unexpected, but it is utterly hopeless. And through the whole movie, these characters are in situations, but there's little moments of hope. We're going to try this. It didn't work. We're going to try this. It didn't work. Until finally it reaches a point of, we're not going to escape, and the only escape is on our terms. But it, So at least he feels like he's taking control, and then that <laughs> the rug is cruelly dragged out from under mm. the protagonist's feet. That is as hopeless a story as anything that I've seen in The Walking Dead. Kind of the difference. It's not even kind of the difference. The mist is two hours. <laughs> and we're, <clears throat> excuse me, 18 hours times five seasons plus six episodes. Right. Right. And staring down the barrel of, oh, shit, it's Negan. It's going to be at least until the end of season seven before we get to the end of All Out War, if we even get all the way there in season seven. Right. Because, yeah, that is a long arc of ep of issues. So... <laughs> It just, it becomes really, it, it became hard for me to watch, particularly live, where it's like, I know where we're going, and I know they don't win. Right. They don't win today, and I know somebody's going to die. Yeah, and they're not going to win for a while after yeah. this. So it's, do I do I put the remote down and then come back halfway through the next season to see where they're at, since I know what's going to happen in the story anyway? Like <laughs> that, that, That's almost where I'm going to be at with this, because... And it, and it's a shame because Dean Morgan, what's his first name? Jeffrey Dean. Jeffrey Morgan. Dean Morgan. I was going to say Henry, and I know that wasn't right. Yeah. <clears throat> um, is a tremendous actor, and and he played Negan with with just the right level of tone, and and avoided chewing the scenery despite the absolute cartoonish level of of menace this character has. Oh yeah, the character of Negan does nothing but chew the scenery. <laughs> but he he had a if it could be say restrained level of <laughs> yeah, of definitely. menace, definitely. And and so he's going to do a, a a bang up job with it. However, I dislike this arc so much in the comic that it's it's pretty much it pretty much turned me off from reading the book except for off and on to see if things had marginally gotten better over the course of the last X number of years. Yeah, and I may be, we may be in the minority. I think where Walking Dead really lost its way was with Negan because the pacing became so slow and it became, Rick's going to try something fails. Rick's going to try something fails. Rick's going to try something fails over and over and over again until the end of All Out War. And it it stopped being interesting and not not in, not that it's not being interesting. It's not being fun in any way. It yeah. became a chore. It was literally, look, the payoff to all this is Rick wins, Negan dies. Otherwise, wh wh why am I suffering through this? If, and we never got it. If I wanted to see characters suffering an existential crisis in a closed set, I would read Sartre. Like, <laughs> Don't make me read Sartre. God no, but I'm, I, this is... This show, these books, this is supposed to be escapist fiction. It's entertainment. I shouldn't come away from it every week going, huh. You just want to suck the joy out of everything. That's exactly it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that was, I had a hard time just going into this episode either time. You know, either the rewatch where I forced myself to watch it and take some notes and uh, the first time because you know they're not going to win. Yeah. 
which when we talk about Fear the Walking Dead, I think is an innate Achilles heel in the entire show. Yes. <laughs> yes. Is, is you know nothing's going to work. But we'll, we'll talk about Fear the Walking Dead. Yeah. Now, there are some some bright spots where I'm hoping they may have learned from their mistakes if they did recognize that they were, in fact, mistakes. Because they were, Kirkman. Um, <laughs> in so... In God the show. damn it, Robert. You're, you're always fucking doing this. How do you solve a problem like Robert Kirkman? Oh, Jesus. How do you solve a problem like Negan? How do you solve a problem like Negan? Here's how you solve it, and here's what I'm hoping for. You've got a couple of badass characters, broken as they are, in reserve, that did not exist in the arc of the comic book. You've got Carol, who hopefully has gotten her stupidness out of her system. And yes. <clears throat> oh, seriously, I get it. You, you had a crisis of conscience. You killed a bunch of people. You really thought long and hard about what it meant to be a mom to a whole community, and you walked yourself back from the abyss. I get it. Yep. Um, I can't hug all the cats either. <laughs> but you've also got Morgan, who, in saving Carol, broke finally his no-kill vow. Yes. And and with fucking prejudice, like he unloaded on that that survivor. Yes, and and that was <laughs> or savior rather. Yes, and that was one thing that. There were a couple things in this episode that I didn't notice the first time because I wasn't paying a hell of a lot of attention that gave me more potential hope for season seven and were definitely votes for, okay, maybe I'm not done, were, yes, Carol, who single-handedly destroyed Terminus, is on the loose. Yeah. Morgan, who, if he does, if he has in fact gotten over his code against killing, which is, as a comic book fan, a hell of a thing to root for. <laughs> Didn't we root for that with Batman in the 90s and we got Asbats? Nobody really wants it. But. Yeah, I, th I think that's where some people are still upset about Batman versus Superman, but that's a different show. That's a different show. But yes, the fact that they are out there and could potentially make moves from the outside gives some hope to this overall situation when we know full well, if you've been reading the comic books, internally inside Rick's group, there's not really a lot of hope there until... Daryl's in there. But Daryl's wounded or down. Michonne's down. Yeah. I mean, Daryl is part of the group. He yeah. may be able to do something from the inside, but probably <laughs> given the constraints of the comic book story, if yeah. they follow that even remotely, it's not going to work. Negan and his henchman porn stash have things locked down pretty tight. Porn stash. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, what you while we were watching it, you said uh, Kirkman did a quote, maybe in the Talking Dead, where you know, oh, if you look at it, you know, perhaps if we'd followed Negan's group from the beginning, they're the good guys. No, and, and Amanda said, <laughs> no, no good can come from that porn stash. No, nothing good. <laughs> now maybe, maybe, maybe somebody loses a contact lens and pizza gets delivered, but no good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, the pizza doesn't get delivered. The sausage gets delivered. Oh, Jesus. The pizza doesn't get delivered. You're 12. <laughs> I never said I was anything, but... So I'll I'll give it that, and it's, it's something that does give me some hope for season seven, is, okay, we have these other elements that are on the outside and can potentially have an effect that weren't there in the comic book. That's, that's a positive. Um, but even then, in this episode watching carol just get beat down and tortured and basically screaming for her own death and being reluctantly rescued by morgan who affects the rescue by turning against his own moral code and becoming nearly unmanned yeah now 
and, and the other positive thing, this other group that they came across who apparently are willing to help Morgan and Carol, okay. who are not necessarily, at least don't seem to be saviors. Right. Because in the comic book, spoilers, um, <laughs> there are several other um, enclaves and communities that have been suffering under Negan's violence for some time that we learn about. So this could be um, a group attached to one of those communities. Yeah. So the fact that we've got some things outside the, the main circle of Rick's crew in play, it's like, okay, all right, maybe there's more hope here than I initially thought. But even then, it's just a maybe, because again, <laughs> if you know the comic book, if it even remotely follows the Negan storyline, it's going to be episode after episode after episode of sequences of events just like this. We're going to go try something, and the saviors knock them on their ass. Yeah. We're going to go try something, and the saviors knock them on their ass. And my big fear, honestly, is that they're going to stall for time and that the next half season is actually going to be, let's rewind and see things from inside Negan's camp. Let's talk about why Dwight's face is all fucked up. Let's... <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> we know why Dwight's face is fucked up. Negan handled that in two panels in the comic book. God, I hope we don't go into the past. I don't care where Negan came from. I, I, I agree, but that's my fear. Yeah, and it's the only way you care about where Negan came from is at this point, we've had the governor and we've had Terminus. So we've had this shit before. Exactly. The only way we really care about where Negan came from is if we see a perversion of a group like Rick's into violence. And frankly, I've been hoping for years, Kirkman, <laughs> that this Whisperer storyline after All Out War would be that story, but about Rick. Yeah. At this point, I'm not sure that's going to be the case. Yeah. I mean, you wonder, is is Negan's crew what would have happened to Rick's crew had Shane remained in charge? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that could be a great story, but I've been trying to, and I, uh, I've been trying to enjoy it, but I can't on an issue-by-issue issue basis. I, I can on a trade-by-trade trade basis, but we'll, we'll talk about that. It's And I, there's something to be said, though, for, like... The the hero who falls from grace, you know, Shakespeare was willing to go there. <laughs> that fucking hack. Um, it, you could do something epic and Wagnerian even, and and st what we've got is this stutter stop fucking pacing that happens once Negan comes on scene, and then spoilers. Uh, we are now up to issue. This came out last week, one fifty three. Oh God, yeah. Which is uh, titled "Heavy Hangs the Head." Go figure. And uh, guess who's still running around because Rick never like got around to or thought he was too good to kill Negan. Yes. He, so Negan's out there and still in play. Yeah. After I, having been locked up in the basement. Yeah. I mean, spoiler. And it really, it really bothered me having read that issue, realizing it came out the same week we saw Negan in the TV show because it, if you look at the issue, they're, they're doing stuff here that we really have not seen in any other issue of The Walking Dead. They make a big point of Negan getting his biker jacket back. And 
putting Lucille back out in play. Like Rick wouldn't have the brains to fucking the, burn that and the stones to burn it in front of him while he was in his cell and show there is no Negan anymore. No, apparently, <laughs> apparently he hung his jacket up nicely in some closet somewhere where the fucking kid who rescued him, whose name I can't even remember. It doesn't matter. He's dead. <laughs> but it was just, you know, oh, God, you're not only bringing Negan back into play in the comic book, but you're putting him back in the clothes that he always wore. And you're doing it the week we see Jeffrey Dean Morgan wearing those same goddamn clothes in the TV show. And it's like, this is the first time I've really felt like, dude, you are fucking with the pacing to gain shit off the television show. Yeah, it's it's it feels like some cynical corporate grab at some kind of marketing fucking synergy it's just <laughs> funny you should say that if only we'd talked about that ahead of time synergy. <laughs> 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 uh, i went out of my way to grab <laughs> i got a couple more sound effects for later things that we talked about i given, hope we get to them given the way that this book is just inexorably fuckstered right now i i question whether or not Kirkman does some of the other things the boss does in Like a Boss. I don't have any other sound effects except... That's okay. That's the only one I got. I, in fair Lonely, use, I, Lonely Island Records. Go look it up, kids. That's right. See, it, oh, trust me. If we're talking to kids, <laughs> kids know it. They know okay. far better than we do. Then just, just dial ahead in your mental Rolodex of the lyrics. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Shit on Deborah's desk? <laughs> Maybe. That... I don't want to talk about Kirkman's work habits. <laughs> Saying Deborah might have might have had it coming. <clears throat> but yeah, I mean, to go back to this issue and the and the comic book, uh, yeah, just the it it felt cynical. It felt yeah. cynical. It felt like, you know, oh, I'm going to put the supervillain back in his costume, which really doesn't make sense. Yeah. And yeah, and it's just like son of a bitch. What was it? Comic-Con 2012-13 when yeah. Issue 100 came out, and we're still dealing with this say, here piece are, of shit. 53 fucking issues later. Yeah, and not only did we not kill him, we didn't even take his fucking shirt. Yes. <laughs> I know, we, we cleaned him up, we gave him a shave and a haircut, and... Yeah, I treated mean, him like a human being. Like I, that helped. I, I picture in the year gap between All Out War and the beginning of The Whisperers, Rick saying, "This is Lucille, Negan's weapon. This weapon killed my friend Glenn. I'm gonna hold on to this. I'm gonna put it in a closet next to his jacket. I'm gonna keep it close. <laughs> <laughs> that fucking Excalibur <laughs> killed your buddy, motherfucker. Burn that shit. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, yeah, and so, okay, spoilers if you haven't read the comic book, but you've probably seen it in the various entertainment news. Uh, in the comic book, Glenn is the one that is killed by Negan. So at the end of this episode, you see him pull in the fucking eeny, meeny, miny, mo, draw out the tension shit, and then somebody gets bludgeoned over the head with Lucille, who is a uh, large Louisville slugger, slugger covered in barbed wire. Yes. In case, <laughs> in case you've lived under a rock. And <laughs> Although I'm willing to take on faith, if you've listened this far into the show... You've either read the comic or you've seen the TV show. <laughs> Otherwise, uh, I'm glad we're the background noise to your shitty commute. <laughs> Email us at crisisatinfinitemidlives at gmail.com if there's a particular joke you'd like told or and, if you've a tune you'd like us to hum into the microphone. We love you too, Carl. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Carl! No, no. So uh, at, this, at the end of this episode, we're left wondering who it is that has been picked. And they've done an awful lot this season to... Uh, first lead us to believe that Glenn died 
in a, a few episodes back and then everybody was all greatly relieved because fan favorite Glenn didn't die. Um, and But then they've had these other hints about what could happen to Glenn because they see him uh, going through the compound uh, where they're supposed to be taking out the saviors the first time and he has to commit his first kill of a human and it really tears him up inside. And meanwhile, there are these awful, uh, like, like military or military consultants gone wrong, uh, trophy pictures up on the wall at that compound of various other prisoners the saviors have taken where they've caved in their heads to give you a sense of, no, it's okay that you can kill them, Glenn, because this is what they do to their prisoners. Oh, by the way, this might happen to you. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the ending to this episode, it was a particularly hopeless fucking ending. Yeah. Because number one, yeah, if you've read the comic, you know it's Glenn. Yeah. Uh, number two, if you've read the comic, you know we're stuck with this prick with a baseball. As much as I really like Jeffrey Dean Morgan, I thought his comedian and Watchmen was excellent. I thought his uh, clay in The Losers ah, great was movie. spectacular. And yeah, if there is a comic book-based movie that is underrated that you've never seen, go get The Losers. I guarantee you can get it on on Vudu or Amazon streaming video. Or the Blu-ray or the DVD is probably five fucking bucks from Amazon. Yeah, or check the used bin at your local comic book store. Yeah, it's <laughs> a, the big bin of discount shit uh, at Best Buy. It'll be in there. But, but buy it, get it. Watch great, it. great underrated movie. And Jeffrey Dean Morgan is great in it. Yes. Uh, I, I can't address his role in Supernatural. <laughs> yeah, I can't, can't help you there. But so, yeah, it's. I think he'll make a great Negan as much as I hate that fucking character. But yeah, it's. So we're staring down the barrel of, all right, we got a year of this shit and watching Rick just lose and lose and lose and lose and lose. And, and yeah, and you're going to give a cliffhanger to see if it's really Glenn. That really, that's the cliffhanger. That's the thing that's going to get us psyched. It's <laughs> Look, who shot JR was the biggest event of 1980. But it wasn't a question of who got shot. If your cliffhanger is who's dead, that's a depressing way to start the fucking show. Right. Right. <laughs> I'd give it even money that it's either Glenn or... Uh, Abraham. Abraham. Because, uh, again, spoilers if you've not read the comic book, Abraham's supposed to be already dead. Right. So... <laughs> so they could have just been saving it for the purposes of... Um, you know, we'll do it here so that we can save Glenn because he's a fan favorite, even though they've insisted up and down that, you know, nobody's safe except for Daryl. Um, and even that, that's it's the, the fans put in the phrase, except for Daryl. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. But also Kirkman's no dope. Right. If he could find a way to, at this point, insert Daryl in the book, yeah. he would. Look, in MASH, they killed Henry Blake. They didn't kill fucking Hawkeye. Exactly. So... <laughs> exactly. But I mean, talk about a depressing, just hopeless ending Yes, your cliffhanger is someone is definitely dead. The main crew is now basically uh, sharecroppers at best. Neutered. Yeah, the one moment of serious, serious redemption where somebody really felt like they got their due was Eugene yeah. in a long sequence of, God damn it, Eugene, you've earned my respect. Eugene feels like he's going off knowing he's going to die. And after the fucking commercial break... Oh no, he gave up and coughed up the, everyone's location yeah. to save his own fucking life. It's like, oh God, really? That's. Well, I don't even think that he, he coughed him up. I, where I think we're led to believe that these guys are so badass that they've got fucking, 
dark elves or some shit out in the woods whistling to to circle location for <laughs> it's like all points of access have been cut off it's, it's like chess everything that you thought you could do nope sorry check and mate bitch like <laughs> that's right you're in the woods you are in the woods of georgia a large fucking <laughs> wasteland where you could go in any direction but don't worry we got a clearing all picked out for it. it's like yeah it's like the saviors are ninjas <laughs> so you need daredevil <laughs> fucking fight that exactly <laughs> <laughs> Or or mutant ninja turtles. At this point, I'd I'd go for that. I'd be fine. Yeah, whatever. Whatever. <laughs> At least they'd... they're cheerful. Yes. For fuck's sake. <laughs> it, oh, it's so goddamn depressing. I'm. The only hope I can give is great. You've got these outliers that could come into play, and I bet we don't see Carol or Morgan <laughs> or any of this group. You're probably right. Yeah. Until we will see them at the very end of the mid-season finale. And then we'll get three months, and then, yeah, you're probably right. Three episodes of, you know, of the origin of Negan. Oh, mommy didn't give me enough love. And uh, I was a middle manager at a fucking 7-Eleven. But I always wanted to have a Harley. And <laughs> I always wanted to be treated like a bad motherfucker. <laughs> My daddy didn't love me. <laughs> yeah, but it's uh, it's just such a slog. And it's it just <laughs> it's hard to have any kind of goddamn hope. Well, it's just like there has to be a payoff. Like when you're talking about, and we've probably used the term on this show before, but when you have these sort of zombie shows, it's supposed to be apocalypse porn. The thing with porn, though, is that there's a moment of release. You watch it, you get off. That doesn't happen when you have this interminable slog. This leads to, I don't know, calluses and and stiffness. And, and just generally a not satisfied feeling. And bruising. Bruising. It's, <laughs> it's Yeah, and we talked about this a little bit. The main fun in any zombie story is that it's the breakdown of what happens day to day. Yeah, Any post-apocalyptic story, if there's any joy in it at all, at all it's that your day-to-day life has been suspended. Yeah. You know, the shit that you have to do, you don't have to do anymore. And it's... And there's always got to be some hope in it or it's, you know, we went back to, we talked about Night of the Living Dead. Yeah. Which is another one where you want to talk bleak fucking endings. (laughs) But if you take a step back and look at when Night of the Living Dead came out, you know, yeah, for a country that was in turmoil, the idea that a black man could be the hero and the leader and the middle-aged white guy with his suspicions of everybody and everybody around him and being insular could be killed by his own children rising up because of zombieism or whatever. Uh, There's a certain amount of cultural hope there. It's yanked out right at the end when Ben shot, (laughs) but even there, there's some hope to it. And the hope in walking dead is few and far between. Particularly now. Yeah. But it's, if you look at the, you know, the best zombie story, and I'm not the only one saying this, the best zombie story movie ever done is Dawn of the Dead, the original one. Okay. And even there, there's a certain amount of wish fulfillment. You know, the world has broken down. We're fucked. There's no police. There's no order. But there's also no money. And there's also a, not a job I have to go to. So, yes, we've found this consumer paradise and there's the huge section in the middle of, all right, well, let's indulge every one of our wishes. Yeah. yeah that's that's the fun of any dark <laughs> post-apocalyptic story. The shit you had to do, you don't have to do anymore. Maybe you have to do other hard things, 
But yeah, the weight of society is off you. The problem with the Negan storyline is if you strip everything out of it, it's the story of I got to work for an asshole. So you're right back to your workaday shit. That's that's the best analogy for the Negan storyline I can come up with. I work for a prick. He wants me to work late. I don't get any credit for what I do. I'm constantly under the fucking threat of losing my job. Now, in this case, you'll also lose your head. But it's... <laughs> wait, that... I, wait, I think I saw this movie when it was 9 to 5. Ah, oh, shit. <laughs> Kinda. <laughs> so... Dabney Coleman is Negan, or vice versa. <laughs> <laughs> Dabney Coleman, somewhere in his retirement home, is like, somebody said my name. That's... <laughs> Ding! But... But if that if you're going to use the zombie story, and ultimately any zombie story is sort of an analogy. Yeah. You know, the, the zombies mean something. Whatever is happening in that kind of story means something. So if you're going to use the analogy of, oh, I've got a shitty boss, but it's under the auspices of the apocalypse, which means the normal rules don't apply, the catharsis of that kind of story is, and then I get to kill the motherfucker. Right. And that never happens. No. The best that happens is the, the, <laughs> and the only time I think I've ever seen this work is a god in some eighties fantasy. It might have been fantasy island where, yeah, some guy who's a put upon employee somehow wins the lottery and buys the company and takes over the board. Yeah. Well, that's not exciting. That's, <laughs> that's kind of stupid and. But that's that's what you wind up with if your catharsis is, oh, no, I will be in charge, and now you work for me, and you work down in the cells. There's That catharsis doesn't exist. And then you even take that catharsis away by having him not only get out, but get out with his old Glenn killer. Right. And and they've also sort of foreshadowed that if that's actually the theme, um, the character that Carol put down... Uh, a few episodes back that was the I killed my boss and that's how I knew I was going to be okay and now I'm just in this for me and then she promptly gets killed by Carol <laughs> like, yeah. like, like alright that sort of puts the kibosh on <laughs> on what what you can expect if you put down your evil boss so <laughs> yeah but even there there's more catharsis in the the world has changed so I don't have to put up with this shit anymore yeah in that one episode appearance of Alicia Witt Thank you. I was then, forgetting your name. Then we are going to get in the next season of Walking Dead. Yes. Unless they change things ultimately or Jeffrey Dean Morgan gets Watchmen 2 or whatever. Yeah. Or, you know, untitled Batfleck project. Like, yeah. <laughs> let's but, talk more about Batman's origins that we already know about. <laughs> yes. But ultimately, the best zombie stories are not about zombies. They're about something else. Yes. You know, Dawn of the Dead is about consumerism. And yeah, you get that moment of joy in the middle where you find it ultimately doesn't mean anything. Day of the Dead is about military paranoia, mm -hmm. you know, in the height of the Cold War. And, uh, oh, they're out there and you're not giving us enough control to do whatever we have to do. And the center can't hold and eventually the military turns on itself. Yep. Land of the Dead is about, okay, if the world ends, I can rise to the top and take a piece of the world and make it my own kingdom. Or... If you're looking at John Leguizamo's side, it's, I can take these weapons and I can destroy the government. I can, right. I can just say, no, you're going to give me what I want at gunpoint, motherfucker. At Zombieland, um, the importance of making human connections, even though you're in a completely threatening situation, 
being able to develop trust and take those happy moments few and far as few and far between as they might be as they come and appreciating them. And Twinkies. And Twinkies. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a sad thing. I they just announced they're developing Zombieland too. I'm looking more forward to that than season seven of The Walking Dead. Yeah. God damn it. Although I don't know I don't know what story you tell with that. <laughs> I, I I don't know. <laughs> uh they killed Bill Murray in it. Yeah, I don't know. You yeah. bring him back. He, that was the best part of the flick. I Maybe he'll be the pet zombie. Maybe. I, I got a soft spot for that flick, but yeah. I don't know where you go from, from right. the end of that one. Woody Harrelson was all right in that. I'd, I'd watch him reprise that character. Yeah. <laughs> I'd rather uh, watch, uh, it was it Jesse Eisenberg in that than yeah. be Lex Luthor again? Note to Eisenberg. <laughs> That's right. You just uh, More zombies, less Lex. Exactly. Yeah. it's The Negan story is I work for a prick. Yeah. And they didn't wind it up with the kind of catharsis that makes it worthwhile. And that's why I'm having such a problem with the current arc. And when I say arc, the last two years of the yeah. comic book, the Whisperer's story ultimately is my neighbor is an asshole. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> and that's not a satisfying story. <laughs> I mean, it can be if you've had an asshole neighbor. Uh, yeah, that yeah, can be. Yeah, but really? Like... <laughs> if you escalate it to the point of, He's not just an asshole, but he's destroying my shit. You know, anybody who's been a homeowner and has had some prick who lives next to him, who I cut that tree down because that branch was over my driveway, or you know, you know, I've been mowing this four foot strip, so now it's mine by right of uh, squatting or whatever. Yeah, there's probably a catharsis of okay, I'm gonna build an army and go over your fucking house <laughs> with a fucking steamroller. Yeah, but I think I saw that one on Family Guy when it was Peter Topia. <laughs> I'm not saying there are other stories that are not similar, but you're you're right. Is that nearly as satisfying as I work for an asshole, so I killed him? No, it's not. It just it feels like Kirkman's running out of things to to tell, and I get that he wants to have like the never ending zombie apocalypse story. But with that, I think he needs to recognize that after a certain point, you need to let characters go. Um, people die, people change, new characters arise, new characters can become um, the, the focus of a story. Well, this is why I had so much hope for The Walking Dead coming out of All Out War. And I think as one of my 2015, no, 2014 Crises Awards, a thing I was look, most looking forward to was The Walking Dead because... I think he laid down a solid potential storyline of not just the whisperers and the, okay, shitty, dangerous neighbors, but Rick finally becoming what he beheld. Yeah. Rick finally becoming dictatorial. You live long enough to see yourself become the villain. Exactly. And I think he started out on that road. But if you look at where that started with those elements being dropped of the dangerous neighbors and Rick playing on fear and becoming dictatorial, if you look a year and a half later, now there's also the element of, oh, but Negan's out there, so there's this other threat, and there's potentially internal – it really feels like it's becoming fractionated. And I have to wonder – all right, how much of it was shit? This is the story I want to do, but I need to pad shit out because I've got to get to the end of season six and put Negan back in the book. You know, remote synergy. <laughs> and it just, it's making everything just drag on. Like a boss. <laughs> Flying to the air. <laughs> 
so yeah, the catharsis of any storyline that starts with Negan and continues within the vein of the comic book is going to go on forever, and we're going to be denied that catharsis. Exactly. Unless Negan takes a fucking bullet in the face. Right. Yeah, I know. I, I don't disagree with anything you said. So it's hard to come to the end of season six and be like, I know what we're in for, and it just it goes on and on and on and on and on. Yeah, and... and- um, spoilers with with the the Walking Dead Walking Dead issue one fifty three. At the end of it, Negan has gotten away. Um, he has crossed the border that is a well marked border <laughs> to where the awful neighbors, the Walkers, um, the Whisperers rather, are are staying. Previously on this border, which is it's a bunch of spiky wood, uh, we've seen other characters' heads placed as warning by the Whisperers. The only good way that this would work is if, like, we were all wound up for nothing and in the next episode or issue we see Negan's head on a spike. Which I don't think will happen, but that would be fucking glorious. That would be glorious for a couple reasons. Number one, we finally put an end to this character. Yeah. We finally see after everything he's done and he gets one last gasp of escaping and putting Rick on a darker path to ruling via fear as opposed to hope. And at the after that last gasp of that and a final murder, yes, it turns out, okay, this bad motherfucker who has survived by his wits through all of this and been so dangerous to Rick is no danger whatsoever to the Whisperers. It makes the Whisperers more dangerous, at least implicitly, yeah. than they already are. I don't think he's going to do it. I don't it. think he's going to do it because synergy. <laughs> it's like yeah it's 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 like he was told by the suits actually he is the suit he owns freaking skybound yeah he said, ah shit they're gonna come out of this and negan is so glorious they're gonna go to the stores and they're gonna open the comic book and he's not there ah shit <laughs> but you're, you're selling how many trades a month <laughs> doing the trades negan's there he's there he's in like five fucking trades that story goes so fucking long <sighs> so we're stuck with this douche. <laughs> yeah, it's but it, yeah. The, so with the main title, with with the main series, like I said, the the areas where I have hope are that these ancillary characters who have been badass are sort of out there, yeah, and can contribute something from the outside. But I think Amanda, you're dead right. It's I think a combination of you're right and yeah, we're not going to see Carol or Morgan. Or this other group until episode eight. Yeah. And then we'll go on hiatus. <laughs> so. And then we'll be left with uh, Fear of the Walking Dead. Yeah. This might so. be a good time to seg into that. All right. So. <laughs> so, yeah. Again, I didn't catch up with the final four episodes of Fear the Walking Dead. So I don't know all the character names. Amanda tried to point them out to me. Well, you've got. Um... So can you give a recap of how we got to the the episode starts they're on a beach with a zodiac a killer no a zodiac boat sorry <laughs> zodiac killer would be much more interesting yeah. episode yeah going out to some dude's uh boat yes. to sail off into san diego At a... to go to comic con i'm guessing <laughs> at the end of season 1 nick who is the the junkie protagonist that we meet in season 1 um is taken under the wing by a menacing and yet somewhat char- charismatic man named Strand, who helps engineer their escape from the military 
a hospital facility where a bunch of folks are being kept in quarantine. And in doing so, they hook back up with Nick's mom, whose name escapes me. She's guidance counselor and kind of cold and unfriendly. And she's the blonde with black roots and her hair will never grow out. <laughs> yes. It will always be blonde. In, in the zombie apocalypse, she will just have perma roots. <laughs> <laughs> so, and she's got a, um, a, a second husband named Travis. Travis's ex-wife was killed off in the finale of season one. Their son, Chris, is struggling with this because he felt there must have been some other way to save his mother. So he's estranged from his father at the moment. Uh, Nick has a sister named Alicia, who uh, was the the girl most likely. She was going to go to Pomona, 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 <laughs> Pomona, and 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 do well in life. She was everything that her junkie brother was not, and she is um, adrift, not knowing what the hell to do with herself in the zombie apocalypse. There. <laughs> Well, no, because there's not a lot of of, of um, call for honor students in the zombie apocalypse. Just survive somehow? No, that's the other that's show. The, that's the Enid. She she could be the professor on Gilligan's Island. <laughs> yes. Um, there is. <laughs> she had a radio. She might have built it out of coconuts. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Uh, no, because what we see her do, and well, we'll get to that. She yes. should not be allowed near radios. <laughs> we have learned she should not be allowed. Yeah. <laughs> children are death in the zombie apocalypse i mean they're death anyway but more so when you're dealing with the zombie apocalypse oh jesus it just occurred to me i'm wondering if they're gonna do the soap opera kid trick with uh oh. with no with uh who's uh rick's daughter the baby oh, yeah who we never see we <laughs> who only exists to be put into danger and then <laughs> swiftly moved Juliet? off camera no, I don't... yeah but i wonder if they'll do the old soap opera kid trick and i heard about the kid trick and i Kids, if you're listening, uh, back in the day in the 70s and the 80s, <laughs> when you would be on school vacation and you only had three channels, uh, if you watched television, you watched your mom's soap operas. And the kid trick was always somebody would have a baby sometime between September and April. Yes. And then that character would be sent away for like a month. And then they would come back and they would be like 15 years old. <laughs> so as soon as, you know, all the high school kids were out of school, they could watch this show and have characters they could relate to. Yeah. And they didn't even have a plausible reason for it. Like in V with Elizabeth, because she was, you know, alien spawn. <laughs> it was just, yeah. they, they were just suddenly old. Yeah. <laughs> they would do it on soap opera. So yeah, yeah. I wonder if they're going to do that with Rick, Rick's kid. Oh, maybe. Yeah. Maybe the power of God, <laughs> father Gabriel is keeping track of her. That was the most hollow moment. Do you yeah. trust me to keep, do you trust me to defend Alexandria and your daughter? And Rick's like, sure, whatever. Sure, whatever, guy. Um, <laughs> I don't have much else going on right now. So, yeah. Um, so we've got that. We've got, um, I feel like the character's name is Salazar. It's, it's Ruben Blades. Um, I always thought it was Ruben Blades, but then like. It's spelled Blades. Chris Hardwick pronounced it differently, so I I question everything about everything now. Um, he eh. he's like one of the sole interesting characters because he when um Travis and Chris came across them in the riots at the initial part of the zombie outbreak, uh, they hid in his barber shop uh, in in Reuben Blade's uh, barber shop, and he was in there with his wife and his daughter, and and he just seemed very you know like 
she's just trying to get through just leave me alone you know well when once we get out of this we're gonna split off i'm gonna go to my cousin but then it, over time he turned out to be this just butcher from el salvador <laughs> that was working for the military and and like torturing dissidents <laughs> regardless you want to stay with ruben yeah he, i want to know ruben's story <laughs> well no because he's fought predators yeah he was in predator too i think so he, he knows his shit he can handle a zombie yeah and it was it was a complete and absolute like devastating thing to his daughter to find this out because he used his skills on a member of the military in the previous season to find out the whereabouts of his wife um let's just say the guy is good with a razor <laughs> you know what i would use those skills for where's my whiskey funnel and i would get the answer <laughs> um so he's interesting and and we're supposed to get hints and he's got a daughter ophelia i believe her name is ophelia which is now that they're out on the water spoilers uh, a really great name for a character like you know that that's gonna lead to all good things oh yeah because any ophelia surrounded by water Thing, good things happen. Good to things her. happen. Yeah. <laughs> so, maybe, they, maybe they could name another kid. Uh, Hamlet. Uh, Harold Pitner <laughs> from Jaws. There you go. There you go. Uh, so they, uh, at the end of, of the season, find themselves in um, strands, massively, uh, like, uh, just awesome mid-century modern that has a, a view of the ocean <laughs> <laughs> as one does as one does which leads you to wonder like is did he make his money on the up and up or is this you know because as shit's falling down what you do is just open up the gates for any fucking dirty desperate people who are coming well, to the door he's got an interest in nick because of his survival skills as a junkie but he's not yet really disclosed how he intends to use what he perceives as nick's nick's the junkie yeah yeah nick uh, looks like a male model who goes shirtless he doesn't give a fuck about nick's survival skills it's <laughs> <laughs> a very special set of skills yeah. hey nick i want you guys to go out there and protect your balls at any cost <laughs> watch out for him nick <laughs> yeah so they uh, the one thing strand really has going for him is that he offers them the opportunity to go out to sea. they're trying to get to san diego he's got a, a luxury yacht as one does of course named abigail and so the whole crew has has piled onto Abigail, and they are speeding towards uh, what they hope will be salvation in in San Diego. The problem is, <laughs> I've been to San Diego a lot. <laughs> There's no salvation there. <laughs> the only the only positive is you can get liquor at the fucking drugstore. It's near Tijuana, and you get cheap drugs. There um, you go. <laughs> so they're they're on the boat. Alicia has. I <laughs> so they're on a boat. I'm on a boat, And they've um made the mistake of giving a giving Alicia um a CB radio because <laughs> you know, when you have no access to social media, teenagers are gonna fall back on what they know. And if they don't have a phone and they have a radio, that's fine. Sure. So whatever. she she finds what sounds like a cute boy on some CB band, and in order to to pass the time and um, you know, make herself, you know, distracted from the tragedy at hand. She talks to the cute boy, giving away their friggin' location <laughs> and all of their valuables. You damn fool! You're more useless than Aquaman. <laughs> Fucking kids in the zombie apocalypse. Meanwhile, meanwhile, uh, Chris gets into a fight with his dad because he's angry about mom's death, and that's understandable. And he's 15, of course. Um, which leads to he punches his dad in the face. 
And stepmom tries to intervene by saying, I remember the first time I hit my dad. (laughs) (laughs) Mother of the year. (laughs) Just a cruel winners. Just cruel winners. Strand demonstrates that he only cares about the mission to get to San Diego and that everybody else is expendable uh, by nearly leaving Chris and Nick behind when they have a moment of levity jumping in the water, (laughs) which turns out to be zombie infested because pirates, because Alicia's a douche. Um. (laughs) So, all right. So this episode was me getting sort of back into this and it's probably a bad sign when yeah within the first five minutes as they're all heading out on the zodiac uh and the, show the, the annabelle no the whatever the the, the fucking the dinghy oh right okay the yeah the dinghy is a i don't know it's an inflatable fucking thing you <laughs> want for me i'm not nautical I'm not either. But uh, all I could think was, it's like, wow, L.A.'s on fire. Why couldn't it be New York? I'm sorry. I'm a Boston kid. <laughs> I can't help it. Maybe it'll be Fear fear the Walking Dead, and that'll take place in New York. <laughs> no, that'll be Fuck the Walking Dead. <laughs> <laughs> the, the problem I had with this, it, uh, I had a lot of problems with it, but <laughs> going to the boat, it just felt like a, a bottle episode. Yeah. So it's, all right, let's... It's like, okay, uh, how much to clear streets of L.A. Uh, to to do shots of zombies? How much per episode? Fuck. Uh, how much does a boat cost? Let's just do that. <laughs> oh, God, it's going to be season two of The Walking Dead all over yeah. again. Just on the boat. Yeah. Yeah, hello, Mr. Kirkman. Uh, we got the two costs, and uh, this is for the streets, and this is for the boat. What do you want to do? I'm on a boat, motherfucker. Don't you ever forget. <laughs> <Jesus>. <laughs> you had a big day today. I did. I had fun. <laughs> I enjoyed myself. When this this show has a bigger problem with hope and with just being depressing than even The Walking Dead does. And the problem with it is we know what happens, at least not to these individual characters, but we know what happens to society. We know everything falls apart. We know no matter what they do, it's not going to work. There's nobody in fucking San Diego. Nobody that can help. Yeah. The only, and a different, <laughs> a different form of, of hope, the only hope the show has, and I, I, on one hand, would like to give them credit and say they did it on purpose, and hopefully they did. But the one hope they have is this is on the other side of the country, and things may have played out differently there. Yeah. I'm not, but they can't have played out that differently. No. Like these characters can't get to San Diego. And find that, oh, yeah, the arsenal there and the military base, yeah, everything's up and running and there's, you know, yep, uh, there's a working civilization here. They could do that, except they already did that in 28 days later. Maybe they'll take possession of and secure the aircraft carrier. (laughs) What, the Midway? Yeah. (laughs) That would be kind of (laughs) awesome. It would be, except then then your show's over. Yeah. Yeah, then it's... I uh, it could be a different kind of zombie apocalypse show, except yeah, if you got a, a ship that big, number one, it needs a large crew, yeah, which means number two, it needs a whole lot of supplies. So yeah, a ship that big, just sort of going around, going, uh, where can we get enough coconuts so that we don't get scurvy or whatever? Right, uh, and they yeah. also run the risk of, you know, they can't adhere too closely to story beats from the first couple of seasons of Walking Dead. 
because otherwise it's like, all right, you're on your road trip and then you find your first secure place, but then that goes tits up and then you have to be on the road again and then you find your next secure place and then that goes tits up. I've, I've already watched this Well, story. they've already found their first secure place. The boat. So, you know, maybe maybe they end up at Coronado and they clear Coronado and then they've got the island to themselves. <laughs> uh, Coronado's not that far off of... And see, and that's the other problem watching this, and it's got nothing to do with The Walking Dead, was, okay, you're out on the water. Again, I'm a zombie fan. I've read the book World War Z. Yeah. And, yeah, the great th- threat there was zombies will just walk into the water and keep walking and eventually will walk out onto whatever shore you happen to be on. And they covered that in Land of the Dead, didn't they? Uh, yeah, they did. Yep. <laughs> but World War Z was first, I think. The book, not the movie. Right, the book. Fuck the movie. Well, no, but I'm just saying in terms of like chronology, I, I feel like it was close call. I don't think Romero watched that or read that and said, huh. <laughs> I think oh, it was parallel thought. No, I don't think so. I mean, a large part of Land of the Dead, he wrote as part of Day of the Dead. He just couldn't get the budget to do it back in the 80s. Yeah. So, so it's just as likely that somehow Brooks, Max Brooks, who wrote uh, World War Z, got a hold of an old script or an old draft of, of Dawn of the Dead and said, oh, yeah, that walking under the water, that seems like a good idea. <laughs> it's possible. I think Max Brooks, not to get uh, too far off into a whole different zombie story, but I think he put a great deal of thought into, okay, this is a walking corpse, yeah. and what does that mean? Well, part of what it means is, yes, if you're in a cold place, they won't be able to move while it's cold. Yeah. So there's a, a whole stretch of it of being up in Canada while this goes on. And part of it would be, you know, well, they don't have to breathe. So, yeah, they'll walk. And as corpses decay, gases leave the body. So they stop being buoyant. They'll just walk along the yeah. bottom. And so frankly, we'll probably... if you want to go even further back, there's, uh, what is it? One of the Fulci films, uh, one oh. of the zombies yeah. with a, a zombie with an eye in the title. I forget. Uh, <clears throat> That might have been Zombie 2, mm. where a zombie's walking along the bottom, punches a shark in the face. So this goes <laughs> way back. That's true. That's true. But it's uh, that was distracting to me. It's like, I, we're going to run into the zombies. The water is only somewhat safe. Well, yeah, but also in my mind, and again, I don't know that I'm any better equipped for the zo- zombie apocalypse than anybody else. As soon as I saw them on the water, it was just like, all right, there's going to be pirates. Somebody needs to have a discussion with these people about priorities and marauders. and. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's... <laughs> And that's that's the other problem. We've been watching The Walking Dead for six years. I've been reading The Walking Dead for ten-ish years. We know already, don't trust the fucker on the radio. <laughs> don't trust people. We already know it. So watching them try to have some hope, it's that much harder with this if you've been watching The Walking Dead because you know how it's going to work out, which is fucking badly. Yes. So... <laughs> So watching just a new group of people get ground down to the Rick point of, I'll just fucking kill you. Yeah, all right, I'll watch it again, but yeah, it's... Maybe this time things will be different, because yeah, they've got sunny dispositions in California, and they're going to rally. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Son of a bitch. No, no. <laughs> and I appreciate them for that. That's It's a good counterpoint to my Northeast cynicism. <laughs> no, it's it's northeast northeast realism. I've told you, I've said on this show, if the zombie apocalypse hits, I'm just going to lie in front of the glass front door and wait for him to come for me. No, I'm not going to survive this. I'm going to get some corrugated, and we're going to be fine. Some corrugated what? 
metal. From where? <laughs> I don't know, but I'm pretty sure that my survival instincts will kick in. I'll figure it and, out. And I'm pretty sure your hatred of driving will kick in. And you'll be like, Rob, drive us to Home Depot to get corrugated. <laughs> corrugated what? I don't know. Corrugated. Amanda, I got a two-seat roadster. It's... <laughs> It's like I'm. We're, we'll we'll be on the half shell for fuck's sake. <laughs> I feel like I feel like if if um the zombie apocalypse is on the line, I'm gonna want it. I'm gonna really want it, and I'll I'll get in a car. <laughs> <laughs> oh God! And you get pulled over because your car's got a respected uh, a rejected inspection <laughs> sticker. Then you and the cops and me are gonna get fucking peeled like shrimp. <laughs> we're not surviving it. So it's not nah. about Sonny. We're we're realistic. I feel I'm, good about my chances. I'm dying in the zombie apocalypse. <laughs> go go make your own way. <laughs> You'll be fine. No. Go on without me. You're gonna live, <laughs> damn it. That's a hard part about watching this. Every step of the way, I'm like every single person watching this knows that the person on the other end of the radio is coming to kill you. Yeah. Every person knows that you can't possibly trust anybody. Every person knows. The one thing I'll give it credit for that I was sure they were gonna go down the route of is when the mother goes to the bridge and what's his name? Strand? Yeah. Isn't there after they passed the barge full of people waving for help. She was going to turn it around. I was sure she was going to turn it around. They yeah. didn't go that route. So I'll, I'll give you Well, I thought somebody credit. was going to do something stupid earlier too. And, and in order to make the, the yacht go to the barge full of people who needed help that the mom or Alicia were going to jump off the boat and be like, I'm going to swim for it. You have to follow me. Right. Right. <laughs> and I would have loved that. Pick the most useless of them. And at this point, I've got two or three on my list. And yeah, just, okay, bye. <laughs> so long. Thanks for thinning the herd. Yeah, dude, could, could you make it Pretty Boy Junkie? Because he's as irritating as shit to me, and I hope he dies quickly. No, he has a special set of skills that Strand wants. <laughs> uh, yes, he does. For $10 all-you-can-eat testicle fest. <laughs> so what are you saying? <laughs> Uh, I think Strand is uh, looking for a hero. You know that hero's name? <laughs> Why would you do that? Uh, that sound will draw zombies. I know. <laughs> Sorry, everybody. Sorry. <laughs> so I mean, when it comes to hopelessness, this show, it's got two strikes against it. Because you know they're going to try the same shit everybody else did. Uh, just it, same shit, different setting. They're going to find their own Alexandria. We know just from watching the TiVo, or from reading the TiVo description that they wind up on some island or something in the second episode. Yes. So they're going it, to, it, but it's, you know, none of it's going to work. If they ever get to San Diego, it is not going to be working. At best, it's going to be a military, military driven terminus. Right. Or a military driven Alexandria. Or, and it's just, it's, so having hope for these people is just, yeah. Your best case scenario is three years down the road, like Rick and crew, <laughs> where you're willing to just kill for a pack of cigarettes. Right. I'd be willing to kill for a pack of cigarettes. <laughs> society hasn't even fallen, but that's a whole different story. <laughs> the other problem with this episode, which has nothing to do with, is it too hopeless to continue watching it? This particular episode where there, there was so much filmmaker and writer man behind the curtain going yeah. on. You know, there there was a fight scene early on the beach where it was just like, oh, okay, you're going back to the... And I hate when people do this, and I wish people would stop doing it. I think it started with one of the Bourne movies. Okay. But uh, where all the action 
is on handheld cameras shaking. Oh, shaky cam. Yeah, so you just can't tell what the fuck is going on, and it's just it's distracting, and it's uh, okay. It started with Blair Witch Project. Possibly. <laughs> so it's, but yeah, you're trying to make everything look more dynamic, but no, it's it's a zombie attack. It it can't be that hard to choreograph out. It's you know you put fifty zombies around a person, it's innately exciting. Right. You, you don't need to make it shaky, <laughs> like they're acting more than they are. Exactly. And. It was the same thing with the minute uh, Chris and the junkie kid jumped in the water. Yeah, yeah. It's like, okay, you're putting people in the water so that the boat can't go, so that the pirates can catch up. I get what you're doing. I see the dude behind the curtain pulling levers right. to make shit happen. And it's like, at that point, the tension's gone. It's I know they're going to get caught up with. I know they're going to either lose the boat or be grounded or have to fight their way out. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's distracting. Yeah. If these are known story beats, is it that it's not being originally written enough? Or or is this the the death knell because they've, they've tapped out the potential of, of the apocalypse story? There's plenty of other supernatural apocalypse stories that, you know, are are out there. There'll, there'll be a new season of The Strain this summer. They'll be, you know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know are, are we done have they told all the stories well the the interesting thing about the walking dead comic right from the beginning was kirkman wanted to do the zombie story that never ended yes which was fine and was interesting and was unique and he used some of the i don't want to say tropes but some of the the beats from 28 days later mm. to okay here's a dude who missed all the shit yeah. he, he missed night of the living dead and dawn of the dead now he's just, this is the world now. And yeah, how you survive in that can be interesting and was interesting for a long time until the pacing got weird. Yeah. And he, it just seemed to become a, a case of how do we drag this out and get to this point, but keep this character alive in case I need him later. And God, the, the minute I, <laughs> the minute I saw Negan in his jacket and with, not with Lucille, but I saw Lucille in the comic book. Yep. So it's like, oh, okay, everything that you saw on the TV show, you know. Promote synergy! <laughs> yep. so, oh, I don't feel like we're in service of the story anymore. We're in service of the property. Right. And the problem with the property is to keep the property going as long as possible, you just have to keep beating people and beating people and beating people. And eventually, there's going to be an equilibrium. That equilibrium is either everybody fucking wipes each other out. I think, honestly, the best equilibrium we can reach, that we could reach, if Kirkman was honest and there was not all this other stuff that relied on the property now, would be Rick ascends to the level of a Negan or governor and Carl has to take him out Yeah, and say, this isn't your world anymore and this type of behavior is old world i grew up in this we of this generation grew up in this and we're not going to do this anymore and that's the beginning of the new world with some hope to it and i agree that when i said earlier you know it's it can be epic and wagnerian and that's how you do that shit (laughs) yeah and and i think I, i would almost bet that if you could get kirkman drunk enough and say, look, if you didn't have this room full of writers and producers and key grips and best boys who are relying on the property, 
that's where it was going to go. And he probably would say, yeah, of course. And you'd be doing it a a mite more quickly, right? (laughs) Well, he said early on, he's like, I, in the earliest issues of The Walking Dead, he said, I got at least 70 issues. Yeah. If you'll let me do 70 issues, I got that. Yeah. Was that at the, the, um, spotlight on Kirkman? It may have been. Yeah. Yeah. Which, and we've talked about it on the show before. It just shows how far this has gone. In 2006, our first San Diego Comic Con, there was a spotlight on Robert Kirkman in one of the tiny rooms. Yeah, it was and like it room was, three. Yeah, and it was only two thirds <laughs> full. And he showed up. He's like, "I brought a deck of cards. I didn't think anybody would show up." <laughs> you know. And then <laughs> the following year, you couldn't shoot your way into um, any any of the panels that he was on. Well, it wasn't the following year, but it was once or, the show was announced, yeah. which was probably three years later, okay. four years later. But that was like a big, like, zombie humping year. It was, he had his TV panel, he had his comic book panel, there was a panel for, like, Pride, Prejudice, and Zombies. It was, like, <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, and, uh, yeah, what's, uh, Max Brooks, yep, as yep. usual, had his panels. Yes. But, yeah, it's, he said early on, he's like, oh, look, if people keep buying it and they'll let me do it, I'll get to issue 70. And that was before the ages of, you know, the years of Skybound and being a partner at Image. And right. He was just a dude who, you know, caught lightning in a bottle with a particular story. And I get it. You want to, you, you want to keep getting that fat paycheck. You want to milk that. But after a certain point, it, it's, you're going to suck it dry. I want to give him even more credit than that. It's, I, I think it may be as, as simple as, no, I figured out ways that I want to continue this. But I do think other things have intervened, and I think one of them may be just, okay, in a writer's room, uh, I've learned that I can do different things with pacing, mm-hmm. and I don't think those have necessarily worked for the comic book, Ooh. but I have to believe that in the same week we see Jeffrey Dean Morgan, we see Negan back in his jacket, at some point, it's not about story anymore, and it's about... Remote synergy. <laughs> I should have I, felt that coming. Then I, all of a sudden, it was... <laughs> I pressed the button on that, and Amanda jumped like I goosed her. <laughs> That's later. <laughs> oh, boy. So it's... And the other thing to keep in mind is, last week, at the same time this issue came out, the latest trade, as soon as I started reading Walking Dead, I put a standing order with my local comic store. I want the standard trade, not the hard covers, not the big yeah. reprint trades, but the six-issue trades. Right. Uh, so I got a trade of six issues going up to about two or three weeks, uh, two or three months ago. Mm-hmm. And I read through it and it's like, God, this works better in big chunks. Yeah. So I enjoyed reading that trade because, yeah, there was a lot of stuff there and it brought, you know, a certain amount of story just right to you. But we've talked about that in terms of, um, those writers who choose to go the more deconstructed writing route, Bendis. Um, it's, <laughs> Those are the writers where you are often better off reading the trade or series of trades so that you can just get everything in a chunk. Yes. And and I think Walking Dead, I flat out said it on previous episodes. I think Walking Dead is there yet. Yeah. Is there now. It is. It's, I, I will continue to get the, the individual issues to continue my collection and I will not be able to help myself and read them when they come in. Mm Mm-hmm. But I just, I don't enjoy them the way I enjoy reading the trades. It's it's hard to defend the book at this point because it's just taken so long to get where it's going and there's been no payoff on Negan. Yeah, it's something has to be done about that piece of shit. Yeah. 
Yeah. Because you can't put that much emotional investment into characters and then watch them go through awful things every month with no resolution. And, you know, some people are like, oh, well, you know, I read these stories because, you know, it makes me feel better about me because, you know, that, at least that's not happening to me. And... <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> yeah, no, there are people out there that that, that that's their raison d'etre with it. And um, my feeling is that I read some of these because you, you, there are characters that you relate to on some level that you like, that that appeal to you, and you you want what's best for them. And when that doesn't happen and you feel that they're mistreated for too long, you tune out. Yeah, absolutely. And that's that was a feeling I had a couple of weeks ago where it's just I, I can't watch people get beat down over and over again anymore. You know, any post-apocalyptic story. Part of the fun, and I don't want to beat a dead horse, but part of the fun is society's broken down and you don't have to follow the old rules anymore. Yeah. And we're well past that with Walking Dead. You know, you look at the stand. The stand was bleak, <laughs> but there's a certain amount of fun in the middle where people are just, you know, uh, all right, I'm, you know, I'm taking me a Harley Davidson and I'm just, I'm going to ride. And certainly there's obstacles and downsides and, yeah, Larry Underwood got the Harley and he ditched it and was scared <laughs> to death and almost walked himself to death from yeah. terror after that. But then there was the catharsis of I could ride a bike and he realized, oh shit, I can still live in this world. Yeah. We're past that with The Walking Dead. There is no, they, there's a town and everybody has a job and we're reaching the point of building a military and they're, they're dealing with a shitty boss and, and that's fine. Those can be good stories, but. After a certain point, I think the final payoff, the final payoff ultimately with The Walking Dead has to be Carl has to kill Rick, period. Yeah. And we can drag it out for as long as we want. We can watch him with his freaky whisperer girlfriend, <laughs> you know. Let me lick your eye socket, Yeah, the finger Carl. fucking his eye sockets. I like to cre lick the creamy center. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> Come on! <laughs> I don't know what happened. Oh, it just came out. God. You just want to suck the joy out of everything. <laughs> it's awful. He was wrong and you knew it. Yep. What the fuck are we talking about? Uh, licking Carl's creamy center. Oh, no, before that. I don't want to talk about that anymore. Carl's girlfriend from The Whispers. Oh, yeah, but that's... That, I think, that's the only logical ending to this story, is a break between the old world and the new world, generationally. Yes. Yeah. Which would, and, and, and the beautiful irony of that coming home, because they grow up in this, and then they want to bring back fucking civilization. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it comes down to the, the end of the stand, the very end of the stand, is, uh, Fran and Stu, and Fran says, do you think people ever learn anything? And Stu's only answer is, I don't know. Yeah. And I think that's ultimately the end of any post-apocalyptic story that has any hope at the end of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just, I want some hope. I'm going to watch Rick get his ass kicked for at least 15 out of 16 fucking episodes, minus whichever ones where <laughs> we see where you know, Negan left his middle management gig at an insurance company. <laughs> Picked up a biker jacket and... <laughs> uh, he probably worked at, like, fast food. Thank you for coming to Happy Burger. Drive through. <laughs> Thank you, drive through. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it, Negan. You're always fucking doing this. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. You want me to cover the drive through and you want me to muck out the bathroom? Shit. <laughs> How many managers do I have? <laughs> so, 
I'm reaching critical mass. I'm not sure I'm I'm there yet. Having rewatched the final episode, okay, Carol's still out there, and despite her crisis of confidence, I saw her kill Terminus. Yes. Morgan is still out well, there. Well, and also, even with her crisis of confidence, she was able to take out, um, I think it was at least five saviors on her own, injured. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, okay, they're out there, and they potentially have hooked up with a crew that can come and join with Rick. But it, even there, it's, if we're going to follow the comic book, you know, great. Season seven, the end. Negan's in a cage. going to get out. Yeah. Shit. God damn it! <laughs> yeah, that's that's where you need you know if, if 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 Carol doesn't decide that she's gonna do one more service and then walk off into the sunset, it's when Rick decides. No, I've taken Morgan's words to heart. We need to be better than them, and I'm gonna let him live. And then we see her open the cage and kill him, and then she walks into the sunset. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, buck buck buck. <laughs> <laughs> In order to save the society, it was necessary to destroy the society. <laughs> anyway. You were about to say something? I'm sorry. I don't remember. <laughs> I found an opening for the whole theme and I took it. There you go. Yeah, I mean, I will. I'm not sure I can quit it and I'm not sure I want to watch it. It's like an abusive relationship. <laughs> kind of. It, there's, a, there's a certain amount of self-flagellation watching characters that you've come to really, really enjoy being in their world hurt so often. It's it, who signs themselves up for that. <laughs> yeah. It's, it reminds me of a Serbian film, <laughs> which is not a movie I would ever fucking watch. Okay. But it, it's, you can Google it if you'd like. I don't recommend it. All right. But it's a guy put through the ringer and just put through absolute awful horrors it's like if hostile is torture porn i can't imagine eli roth watching a serbian film and not throwing up interesting okay but it's 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 meant to be just yeah absolute horror and look at just how terrible the human condition is and after a certain point again the mist the mist is bleak night of the living dead is really bleak Two hours is different than, all right, I'll see you October through April. Right, right. Yeah. No, I mean, and there are, there are some bleak horror movies out there, but even with something like the Korean movie, the Korean version, let's, let's stick to that, of old boy. <laughs> yes. There's still a payoff that makes all the awful things that happen to the protagonist, if not worthwhile, there's at least a resolution. Audition. There's a fucking resolution. You know? Oh, yeah, kind of. <laughs> sort of. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I'm not sure we really answered anything here. It's, I, I think I've, I don't want to say resigned myself, but I, I think I've decided, okay, I will definitely watch The Walking Dead, at least for a while when it comes back, knowing full well it's just going to be a beat down, but yeah. at least there's something to mix it up there with, with Carol and Morgan out there. Yes, I'm just going to hope that they've changed it up based on some of the fan and critical reaction to the way that the comic book has gone since issue 100. Yeah. And for all I know, the critical reaction is us. Is, yeah, <laughs> you, and me. you hear that Kirkman? Yeah. Uh, Fear the walking dead. It's, it's on a short leash with me. <laughs> Kirkman, this is about my $2 and 99 cents, man. <laughs> <laughs> 
But yeah, it's watching characters early on where we know the center doesn't hold. Everything does go to hell. Every piece of hope that they have is going to be snuffed out as they eventually move toward a much more subsistence level. <laughs> well, but, and their their selling point is supposed to be, um, well, it's 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 really just a family drama with the backdrop of the zombie apocalypse. I I outgrew tense family dramas about the same time I stopped watching Party of Five. <laughs> yeah, it's. I never watched Eight is Enough, although I might have if somebody had eaten Dick Van Patten. <laughs> or Willie Ames. <laughs> yeah, that would have been fun. That would have been awesome. But that's not the selling point. You know what the selling point of this show is? Come on the phone, motherfucker, don't you ever forget. <laughs> I went to the trouble to get the clip that I can never use again. <laughs> I figured I might as well get one more play on it. Toot, toot. <laughs> Uh, hey, wh- wh- why is there a boat coming up on us? They got my dick message! <laughs> <laughs> if you've been reading the Walking Dead comic book, um, if you've been watching Fear the Walking Dead, and and you find that, that you disagree with this, that you, there are something, there's something in there redeeming that we've missed, we would love to hear from you. Um, please write to us at crisisoninfinitemidlives at gmail.com because we're, we're curious, you know. Are are we just too jaded and cynical at this point? Is is there something in there that we've overlooked? Let us know. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's and I'm not sure it's jaded and cynical. I I think it's something burnt out. <laughs> burnt out is probably more accurate. So it's something pure than jaded and cynical. It's it's more. How many times can I watch someone's head in a basin? getting ready to have their fucking head bashed in yeah. before, oh, somebody saved them, and I've got one moment of, yay! Well, I see and Jade, then it's- and, Jade and Cynical based on the, the, you know, being able to see the the machinations of the man behind the curtain in terms of the structure of the premiere of season two of Fear the Walking Dead. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, all right, you've got a point. So, yeah, Fear the Walking Dead is very much on thin ice with me. Yeah. I'll be back to watch Negan, I guess, in <laughs> season seven of <laughs> The Walking Dead. But yeah, we, we would love to hear from you at crisisoninfinitemidlives at gmail.com. Yeah, or you can ping us, uh, ping through, us. Our, <laughs> through our Facebook page or... Tumblr. T- uh, Twitter. I don't, I don't pay any attention to our Tumblr sites. <laughs> It'll come to our email if you hit us through Tumblr. <laughs> there you go. But yeah, I'd love to hear differing opinions because, yeah, it's... You, know, you and I, Amanda, are kind of an echo chamber. We live together mm-hmm. and, you know, <laughs> we we don't always... And it's weird, even, you know, our comic reading friends, like uh, you know, friends of the show, Trebuchet and Pixie Sticks, are kind of in the same boat that we are. Yeah, Pixie Sticks checked out a long time ago on walk, uh, on Walking Dead. <laughs> yeah, uh, both the show and the comic book, so. All right, let, let's move off of that. Do you, do you want to talk briefly about a couple of comic books? Let's talk about a couple of comic books. Uh, and, uh, again, I we came into the show very loose, so I don't even have notes on these books. But I'm you had some strong feelings. I'm, I'm going to hold up this first book. This is Moon Knight number one, all new, all different Marvel by Jeff Lemire as the writer. And uh, is it Greg Smallwood is the artist? Julie yes. Galair on colors. Yes. Uh, Moon Knight is one of those weird fucking characters. It's <laughs> He's always supposed to somehow have been Marvel's Batman, even though Marvel had Daredevil <laughs> uh, with Frank Miller writing him. Yeah. <laughs> but he's one of those characters. He's been so over the map for so goddamn long with 
depending on who's writing him, he's insane or he's a mercenary or <coughs> you get the insane a whole lot more than anything else. It's so oh, a split personality and but he's still out fighting crime and still somehow has a Scooby gang of people. And it's, it's always been, you can't pin the character down and there've yeah. been some depictions better than others. I like Bendis's, uh, Bendis's, Bendis's run, run Ellis Warren Ellis had a great run with uh, Declan Shavy Shavy uh Shavy Shavy but yeah it's Ellis's run uh, really moved the character to an entirely new level yeah. gave him an entirely new motivation a new costume it was a bunch of one and dones that opened up the possibility of supernatural stories the possibility of just straight crime stories but it was it was a focused character that had a certain amount it, it wasn't even the multiple personality angle it was there is a god conchu uh, for whom moon knight performs work for yeah. uh and this is his latest interpretation of what it means and it was tight and it was solid even though there were all different kinds of stories and brian wood continued on that run mm -hmm. uh and with kind of that characterization and now we're back to a brand new number one and it just feels like we're back to the old Oh no, Moon Knight's insane. And has and, been insane all his life. Yeah, and may not really have any kind of interpretation of what the real world is like and is hallucinating. And, and yeah. we're led to believe that there's another supposedly real Moon Knight that's been running around and that um, Spectre has been um, fantasizing that he's Moon Knight and keeping a, a notebook and it's his wish fulfillment because the orderlies beat him up all the time. <laughs> it's like yeah. the worst health facility ever, by the way. <laughs> uh, yeah, but it's the worst health facility. In like a one flew over the cuckoo's nest kind of way. <laughs> yeah, but written in the kind of way where there's enough off-center. Look, ultimately, he, he will turn out to be correct. Yeah. Uh, he will turn out to be, yes, I am Moon Knight and... The things that I am seeing are probably more likely accurate than not, mm -hmm. as weird and as twisted as they are. Yeah, it, it felt like a major step back for the character. It's like right back to, oh, you're just as crazy as a shithouse rat. It's it's like they came up with this interpretation of Moon Knight as if to say, you know what, folks? Those of you who believe that Batman is actually a sociopath, um, crazy, whatever, let's 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 write a story about what that would be like. Uh, not even a sociopath, just a full-on... Crazy. Not even psychopath, a schizophrenic. Yeah, okay. Yeah, you know, full-on well, insane with no real hook to reality, potentially. Yeah, some sort of multiple personality disorder. and <laughs> Which, in its own way, okay, fine, except Bendis did the same thing. And Bendis at least made it kind of entertaining and cool because his other personalities were like... <laughs> Spider-Man and Captain America and Wolverine. <laughs> that was pretty awesome, Yeah, actually. telling him what to do. But it's, it feels like a step back for the character, and a step back, God, potentially dating back to the old uh, Sienkiewicz-drawn stuff in the 80s, where, oh, no, <laughs> he's got all kinds of different personalities. And it's, No, it felt like we had... It felt like Ellis distilled him down to, fine, let's take what matters. There's this guy and this moon god who has given him a certain amount of at least perception if not power and this is what he protects travelers by night and yeah. he's no longer you know batman in a white suit he's got various costumes for what he needs to do but mm -hmm. this is his mission and now he's just oh he's back in a fucking straitjacket okay i've read this yeah i've read it over and over and over again which which makes you wonder like you know why is lemire going this route what 
Are, are we retreading stuff for people who may not have read that? And this is going to be new to them. All new, all different. Um, oh, God, I hope not. <laughs> I mean, Moon Knight has been rebooted, I think, four times in 10 years, if not less than that. Yeah. It's a, yeah, it's a, it feels like a step back. And the, the one thing I'm, I'm hanging my hope on here is I had a negative reaction to Lemire's first all new, all different Hawkeye. Yeah. Which I think has become a pretty solid title. It's not up there with Fractions, which was just, that's going to go down as a classic, but it's it's become very readable and very entertaining in a very different way from what Fraction did. So there's a good chance. It, I like Lemire's writing and other things. I've got faith that this will go to a place where, okay, there's more to this than it looks at the first glance. But yeah, this first glance is just, oh, I'm, I've read this version. Yeah. And this version's been around forever, and this version hasn't been able to carry his own fucking title since 1975 or whatever. Right. There's a reason why they, they don't go to the well often on this particular interpretation. <laughs> exactly. So. It makes you wonder, like, did, did Ellis take it far enough where it's like, oh, shit, I, I, I can't tell that story. <laughs> I can't live up to that. All right, I'm going to go back to this, because we did supernatural shit with... Um, Animal Man and Swamp Thing, and we're going to have some sort of supernatural overarching thing that we're going to explore that plays into some larger piece of the Marvel Universe. It's possible. It's The main thing that hooked me is, oh, he's back in an asylum, and yeah. he's back to hallucinating, at least at face value. And it, it felt like a step back for the character. But I, I say that because you've got in like Doctor Strange and Scarlet Witch's books, you know, threats happening to the supernatural. And if this is a character... Asylum bound or not, who's connected to a god? <laughs> yeah. You know, what are the larger implications in this universe? Yeah, I'm not sure. That Look, there's... Uh, Lemire is a solid writer. I'm sure he has an idea of where he's going. But as a first, hey man, here's my run, it's... No, I've read it before. Yeah. I was very disappointed coming out of this book. Yes, but um, bright spot in the book, Greg Smallwood's art is fantastic. Oh, it's a great looking book. Absolutely. Fantastic. And it's, it's only complemented by Jordi Belair's colors. It's, um, this builds on what shall we did. It, it, we've got a good sense of line and shadow and use of the whole panel layout to tell this. There's a great splash where he gets a hold of, um, a bed sheet and makes himself a mask finally. And it's a two page spread of, he goes out to the roof of the asylum and, and Egypt has ridden, risen in the midst of New York with, you know, flying Anubis looking creatures. And <laughs> yeah, the only downside of that is he builds his own costume and looks like he's going to kick down the front door to go set a cross on fire. Yeah. It's, there's that. It's not a well out costume destroyed mom's bedroom set to make his ghost costume yeah i right. got a rock all right we'll, <laughs> we'll go nicer we'll go charlie brown's ghost yeah. as opposed to birth of a nation yeah but, yeah yeah it's uh i'll i'll stick with it briefly but again i, I stuck with uh all new hawkeye briefly and it, it wound up paying off yeah but as somebody who you know is I'm not sure there are any hardcore Moon Knight fans out no. there, but as somebody who's a casual fan, we have Essential Moon Knight number one, yeah. or number two, actually. The, I, uh, I believe I bought it. <laughs> yeah. No, with uh, yeah, the Sienkiewicz stuff. Yep. Uh, we enjoy the character, mm -hmm. but yeah, it's this, this felt like a, a step back for it, but I'm going to have to see. 
If you are a hardcore Moon Knight fan and you'd like to reach out to us here at Crisis on Infinite Midlives, please feel free to email us at <laughs> Crisis on Infinite Midlives at gmail.com. Please talk to us. We're so lonely. There you go. It's a, here's, what Amanda, <laughs> here's what Amanda's doing. <laughs> All right. Uh, what's the next book? Uh, jackpot. Yes, Jackpot. Uh, I can't see from here. Who's that? Ray Fox, Ray Fox. wrote it. An, and uh, Yeah. And it's um, Marco Faya. What kind of parents would name their kid that? <laughs> F-A-I-L-L-A. All right. So, yeah, this is uh, an Aftershock comic. Aftershock's had some interesting stuff or a, a pretty new imprint. They've, they've brought in some high-tone creators yeah. to do creator-owned stuff. And this particular one, I had a lot of fun with it. Right up until the end. <laughs> Why don't and, you talk about your experience with the book, right? And the end is not necessarily a kiss of death, but yeah, this is a tight, almost one and done heist story. Yes. Uh, that takes place. I'm on a boat, motherfucker, take a look at me. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm getting my mileage out of it. I can't use it again after this, but uh, so yeah, it's a, it's a heist team and, and they're pulling a job. I'm on a boat, motherfucker, don't you ever forget. And uh, <laughs> out in international waters, and there's a poker game going on, and one member of the crew is doing some uh, card sharping while somebody is trying to break into a vault. And in the meantime, there's another member of the crew uh, dealing with weapons. And it's yeah, it's it has a a well put together feeling of this is a crew of criminals who is used to pulling jobs together, and everything is professional. And it is a tight, entertaining little heist story. Yeah. Right up until the end where there appears to be the Illuminati <laughs> uh, who wants to uh, recruit the uh, the mastermind of the heist for some kind of shenanigans in the future. So it was really a case of, wow, this is really a solid little crime story. And I, you know, the, the kind, you don't know, see this a lot. You know, even Thief of Thieves by Kirkman, it was, oh, no, there's this big thing and oh, no, there's a son that has to be dealt with and an ex-wife. No, these are just criminals doing crimes. It's like if you got to the end of Leverage and all of a sudden somebody approached Nate and said, thank you, the the Illuminati would like your services. Yeah, it was, it was a weird ending. Now, that said, if it's the Illuminati would like to hire you to do more... Crimes? Yeah, do more crimes <laughs> like this, more you know, tight one and done or a couple and done. You know, yeah. Now, this time we'll show the planning going into it and then the crime. I'm all for it. Yeah. Because, uh, yeah, it's it's just up until that last page or two, it's just, wow, this is just a, a neat little, yeah, heist story. And it, I had a lot of fun with it. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I've got no complaints. I, I've, I've enjoyed Ray Falk's, um, Fox's work for some time. I thought he did a great job at the end run of Constantine before it turned over to James Tinian IV and Ming Doyle. Yeah. Um, he told one of the the, the best actual like real real what constantine would do stories that in some time oh yeah it's a that last gasp storyline before it got turned over where constantine was on earth too and not only betrayed analogs of his own family but himself yeah it's like i reached the point of okay that this constantine title has finally this is the first story that's worthy of being hellblazer like oh somebody else is getting it and yeah. that, now, there, now, when we talk about actually, like you know, um, apocalypse porn and stuff like that, it, Hellblazer in its best moments has that unrelenting shit getting kicked out of people and and characters that you cared about, where there was still always enough payoff that you would keep coming back. Oh yeah. 
So, I mean, these stories can be told. <laughs> yeah, they absolutely can. Because <laughs> at the very least, Constantine was victorious, if not a winner. Right. He came out on top, even if he wasn't better because of it. Right. And that's what needs to happen with any of these stories. And yeah, I don't want to go back to Walking Dead. <laughs> but but yeah, it's... <laughs> If you go months and months and months and months and months, oh, and then, yep, uh, Rick's on top. He won. <laughs> and, and then you go straight to the Whisperers. It's yeah. like, oh, no, you killed like eight people. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Negan's gone. Fuck. <laughs> but this story, Jackpot, it's got an interesting premise. All right, so you've got like a really tight crew and, and they commit high-end crimes for millions of dollars. And what happens if they attract what could be the wrong attention? Yeah, and it's it's weird. The crime itself had sort of a, a heat, you know, mm. Michael Mann's heat, we are all professionals. Yep. Uh rhythm and pacing to it with still a, a little tiny bit of Ocean's Eleven. There's some humor also and right. interplay in between the people. We've been working together for a while. So we've got a a relationship, a and not not an office comedy, but an office relationship. You can trade some quips. Even as, oh, shit, this part's going to hell. Okay, now back to professional. What are we going to do? Which is why The Losers is awesome. Yes, indeed. <laughs> so <laughs> It all comes back. It's all a circle. So, yeah, it was it was weird. This one, I did, yeah, every page of it, I'm like, this is a blast. And then it's like, oh, fuck, where are you going now with the Illuminati? Yeah. yeah. But it's fine if the Illumini, Illuminati wants them to you know perform more heist, particularly in the setting of... I'm on a boat, Jesus. take a look at me. <laughs> that I'm all for it. I will it. take you to a boat. <laughs> I will take you to a boat. Okay, I appreciate that. <laughs> but you're you're flipping through the issue. Anything you're looking for? Or? Well, interestingly, I mean the it's not necessarily that the Illuminati wants the whole crew. They want the the genius, the mastermind character who is this Dominique Vasco. So what does that mean? Does she get to bring her crew with with them? <laughs> I, I have to believe that with the characterization that he was able to bring out just in a single issue of yeah. everybody just enough to flesh them out that yeah the first demandal will be i need my crew i kind of like that their their master uh safe cracker looks like ultimate universe um may parker <laughs> <laughs> yeah well uh, there are certain <laughs> skills that take a lifetime to build exactly <laughs> no reason to think some some millennial would know how to <laughs> How to bust out? I'm just saying it was. I I, I kind of chuckled to myself. Yeah, well, that's a, that's. I think that's part of why you liked uh, that initial New Fifty Two run on Deathstroke. Yes. I, yeah. Sometimes uh, you need you need experience. Exactly. It's not the years. It's the mileage. You knew that was coming. <laughs> I, I can see you coming. closing your eyes as I reach for the soundboard. Uh, this one, yeah, it's it's a weird ending to it, but. If you're looking for a one and done good crime story, yeah, Jackpot One, definitely solid. Yes. Where they go from here, I don't know, but, <laughs> but we'll have to find out. Absolutely, but that's all right. You know, it's got a weird twist that neither of us saw coming, and yet we're gonna go back for seconds. Exactly. All right, is that all we got? That's all we got. Yeah. Uh, thank you for hanging with us on this very loose episode. <laughs> Yeah, particularly the Walking Dead stuff. It's just, it was a weird final crisis of, uh, my God, I've stuck with this story and these characters 
for 10 something years and I might be done. I just really wanted to, I had to feel like if I feel that way and Amanda maybe feels that way that we can't be alone. So wanted to take the opportunity to try to work through it and yeah, see if there's enough there to, to come back. I feel like, you know, maybe the next time I pick up an issue of the walking dead, I'm going to have to track down the frozen soundtrack and just let it go. <laughs> Please don't do that. <laughs> You've been playing I'm on a boat for this entire show. <laughs> I, I don't have a response to that. <laughs> uh, all right. So, yeah. Thanks for sticking with us through a, a loose episode. Yes. Uh, and next week's may also be loose on the road talking about who to cast as Big Barda. I, I, have, I don't, I don't want to give it away. I just I have these thoughts and they've become more crystallized since... I've had some distance from Batman versus Superman, and there's been some more news about how the the upcoming movies are progressing, and also with how things have been progressing in some of the television properties and what they're doing right that could be capitalized on, even though those two forms of media are probably never going to intersect in the DC entertainment universe. Fair enough. So that might be next week's episode. <laughs> Yes. Assuming we can even get internet access, which we were unable to do last time we were up. Yeah, there's that. So (laughs) So hopefully there'll be an episode next week. We're going to try like hell. We're going to try. So in the meantime, why don't we wrap it up? Okay. So yes, don't know where you found this episode, but you can always find us at our home website, crisisoninfinitemidlives.com. We are on Facebook. I try to do more with that. Uh, Life gets weird, (laughs) but you can always get a message to us. We will always certainly hear about it if you do. Uh, Facebook page is facebook.com slash crisis on infinite midlives. We are on Twitter. Uh, Twitter handle is at infinite midlife. We are on Tumblr, such as we are. <laughs> crisis on infinite midlives.tumblr.com. You can find us on iTunes. And if that's how you get your podcast, do us a favor and give us a review. Uh, shoot us a rating. It helps new people find the show. We're on iTunes radio. We are on Stitcher. And as of this week, uh, if you uh, are an Android user, uh, you can find us on the Google Play Store. Yeah, exciting times. Yeah, I didn't realize that was going to happen. <laughs> I, I put that in motion weeks and weeks ago and then forgot about it and just found out, <laughs> oh, yeah, okay. So, yeah, we're on the Google Play Store. Uh, we are proud members of the Comics Podcast Network, and you can always email us, crisisoninfinitemidlives at gmail.com. Did I miss anything? I think you got everything. All right. Then that is it. This has been episode 110 of the Crisis on Infinite Midlife show. I'm Rob. I'm Amanda. Thank you for listening and derp. You know I got to do it one just, more time. Just do it. I'm on a boat, motherfucker. <laughs> take a look at me. <laughs> We're out. And, uh, yeah, well, what? Promote synergy. Now we're out.